This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Hello, just before we get into today's episode, I want to give a little bit of a trigger warning. Today's episode deals with topics of suicide and mental illness. And for some people that can be really distressing and activating. You know yourself better than anyone. So if this topic is difficult for you, give this episode a skip and we'll see you next week. Hello and welcome to another episode of Basically. With me in studio today is Joanna Fortune. To continue our mental health month, we are going to talk about mental health in the parent and child relationship, I guess. Do you want to introduce yourself first? I think people have know you from Moncrief's show on News Talk and also yeah. my previous podcast, but in case they don't. Yeah, I'm Joanna Fortune. I'm a psychotherapist. I work with adults and children and adolescents, but I specialize in the parent-child relationship. And a lot of the work I do is at that relational level, so more dyadic. So I might have parent and child in the room, in the session together. It's a very particular way of working and really useful around working with any ruptures to attachment formation, that emotional connection or any recovery from emotional trauma. And those tend to be the areas that I specialize in. Cool. Is it, um, sorry, I wasn't planning on asking this question, but now that you've said it, does it have to rupture? We've just done an episode with Anthony McCarthy Mm. who said that sometimes, you know, women have an expectation that the child will come out and they'll just love it straight away. And sometimes for a small percentage of women that doesn't develop. So is it a rupture or can you also work with people who've never really had that connection or what age do you start working with kids? Oh yeah, I mean, attachment formation is a process. I think, you know, we do have that idea that we're going to be handed a baby and there'll be like a light switch, this instant bond and connection. And look, for some women that might be the experience and fantastic, but for a significant amount of parents, that isn't the experience. And really, I always look at that early parent-infant attachment formation as a dance. And it's a process of me moving out of the rhythm I've been living by and looking at this baby and trying to understand and read and make sense of their rhythm so that we can actually create a new shared rhythm. So that means you're in sync, you're out of sync, and then you're getting back into sync. And that's really the route to attachment formation. It's that, you know, we, we are connected, we're getting each other, we're out of sync, you're crying, I don't know why, it's getting me very stressed, I'm getting irritable, and I calm down and you, I'm able to calm you down and we're regulating again. So we get that kind of wave, that regulatory roller coaster until we learn each other. So attachment is a process and it does take time. It's not this instant moment and and that's very healthy and normal. It's just not often spoken about that way. So it can lead to parents feeling like, oh, my goodness, there's something wrong with me. I don't have this instant in love with baby feeling. And you know what I would say that it's easy for me to say that's okay. In the moment, that's very, very difficult. So it is definitely worth speaking to somebody, reaching out and talking those concerns, not sitting with them and allowing yourself to simmer in that anxiety, because that's when it can become problematic for you. I'm sure that's really reassuring for many, many women to hear. Okay, so when but that's sort of a general um, that's your general experience and your practice. We were were going to talk about today specifically mental health issues or mental health either with child or with parent. Is this something that comes up a lot? I mean, oh, it absolutely does. And I think, you know, we have to be really clear about language around this as well, because we all have mental health and we all have good days 
and less than good days. So are we talking more about mental illness? It's really about mental illness or mental ill health. If you have a significant mental ill health and you have a diagnosis and you might be in treatment, for example. And I do want to emphasize that any parent who has a diagnosis of mental illness of any kind, let's take, for example, depression or anxiety or something like that, any kind of mental illness, and it is managed. You know that you are attending with somebody, you might be on medication, you might be attending with a psychiatrist or a psychotherapist or maybe a combination of those factors. With rare exception, most parents with managed mental illness are parenting really well. Mm. It doesn't mean you can't parent. It doesn't mean you're not a good enough parent. And I think that can be uh, one of those myths that are out there of, oh, you know, the parent has mental illness, therefore they're a bad parent. That's just not my experience. That's not true. I think it's when mental illness can fluctuate. You know, yes, we can, okay. ha you know, you can like enter episodes of Exactly. You can have an episode where your mental health is under extreme pressure and your symptoms are really amplified and you can feel a little detached, a little derailed. And you might know, look, this is part of my illness and I have a protocol. I know I need to reach out to my psychiatrist or my mental health professional who's going to modify medication or see me or work with me. And that might be a transient period. And I'm not saying that doesn't matter or that's not going to impact your parent child relationship. But when those are transient moments, it is a bit like, well, we're out of sync now, just like we said at the start. And when I reach that place of recovery again and I'm, you know, everything is stable, we will be back in sync. And I think that's what we really want to look at is empowering, strengthening and supporting parents you know, regardless of mental health status, that you can be the best kind of parent that you can be with appropriate supports. And do you think that as part of that, should a child, like a child of, you know, like age appropriate, that, that a child should be explained, that it should be explained to a child that the parent has yeah. some some problems and how, like how, how do you do that? Yeah, I mean, I do. I mean, I think I've said this before and people would be used to me saying this where I do believe that if children have a question, then we owe them an answer and that we should always be open, honest and developmentally appropriate okay. in how we answer those questions. So I think sometimes when you've been bracing yourself for a question, it could be about anything, by the way, it could be about, you know, how are babies made or why don't my parents live together or it could be why does your brain work differently or why do you spend a lot of days in your bedroom or why can't we go out and do the things I want to do? And you're thinking, OK, this is it. This is the moment I, I have a script. I'm prepared for this conversation. <laughs> and you end up giving them masses of information that they didn't actually ask you for. And they're kind of sitting there in front of you going, I no longer know what I asked. Why so are you telling me all this? Answer the question. That's really asked. stick to the question that's asked okay. because this is a conversation you can revisit. You can grow up with the detail and you can keep checking in. So if I want to know why are you staying in bed all day? Let's just take that as a question. Maybe that answer is I'm not feeling very well at the moment. I feel really tired. I don't have a lot of energy and it's very hard for me to get up. That's why I'm staying in bed at the moment, but I'm working on it. And I think in a few days I will be able to get out of bed and then we will look forward to doing something together. You've answered that question so openly and honestly. So what happens then when you wake that child up for school and they're like, I'm not feeling very well today. I want to stay in bed. It's very difficult for me. Like if they is there a way of differentiating? what you're feeling with. Yeah, for this sure. This is slightly different to when you don't want to go to school. 
Well, literally what you've just said okay. is the answer. <laughs> exactly those words would work really well going. You're not feeling very well in your body. And I'm thinking that sounds a bit like what I told you last week when I wasn't feeling very well in my feelings. OK, OK. Great. And I can check your body because you've said you're not well. I'm going to take your temperature. I'm going to have a little put my hand on your. Do you know what? You feel OK. So I think your body is fine. And when you're in school, if that changes, teacher will call me. OK, great. <laughs> That's just I, I can imagine me as a child being like, I think I'm all children do that, though, that you will always get the I don't feel well. And I think sometimes it's so interesting now that, again, I wasn't going to say this, but I hope that we're talking about it. I am going to yeah, go <laughs> that ahead. some children do have an embodied expression of emotional dysregulation. Don't we all? Let's Say that again. So an embodied expression, expression of, of what is an emotional dysregulation. So okay. even myself, if I'm feeling, you know, I used to call anxious, it worry or an uh oh feeling is what I call it. So it's the same thing. I might I tend to somatize that around my tummy. So I might feel quite tight in my tummy. I might even have, you know, a gastro disruption or I might feel nauseous or I feel like I can't eat. My appetite's affected. So that's physical. That's a physical manifestation. And that's real. Yes. Okay. It's not caused by anything that requires my GP or a medical intervention, but it is a real symptom. So when our children say, I don't feel well, I have a tummy ache, it's not that they're lying to us, but it might be the way know. that their yes. oh feeling is coming out. So I always think stay out of that place of certainty. Oh, I know what's going on here and hold a place of curiosity. I wonder what might be causing that pain. Yeah, but I used to not know, like I used to have a worry pain and be like, I've no idea what this is about. And then I'd have to like work really hard to be like, oh, it's because that girl wasn't talking to me in school today. And it might take a long time to get there, and especially developmentally, because when our children say, I don't know what's wrong, we should believe them. Yeah, that's an honest They're answer. I don't know. And everything. And again, as adults, we can relate that back to are we always able to articulate exactly what's going on for us? No, no. we're not. It takes time. It takes space. Sometimes we have to feel the way we feel in the moment so that we can stop feeling it and move beyond. Instead of this whole, dust yourself off, come on now, push mm -hmm. through, be strong, get going. That's not helpful. And yeah. it's not possible. So do you think it's better for us to, to take some questions? Or yeah. should we talk about first and then see if we've already answered the questions? Take the questions first. I think let's go through some okay. of it because I think you've a few. So <laughs> yeah. we'll go through a few of them and see. Um, what is the impact on a T baby or toddler of a mum who has postpartum depression and anxiety is there any long term feelings that are going to be rooted into the child I feel so guilty Oh, and I just that last bit really jumps out I feel so guilty and I think that that's there's no point in saying no, but don't be guilty it's not your fault because guilt again a bit like attachment it's not a switch it's not something we can turn on and off and that idea that I'm not enough for my child is a very stressful feeling. So postpartum depression, anxiety is something that affects, you know, a significant amount of women um, will experience that. And what we would really look at is the best gift that you can give your young child, your baby, your toddler is to take care of yourself, because by taking care of yourself, you are taking care of them. Mm -hmm. That is an act of care for your child. So don't feel like I, I don't matter. I really shouldn't do this. I'm actually doing damage. The best thing that you can do is respond to how you're feeling. Reach out, 
talk to somebody, seek professional advice, because I'm an optimist anyway. In, ge- in general, I like to think I'm an optimist, but especially around this stuff I am, because attachment can be healed. It can be repaired. So even if, you know, it there's been that disruption in those early years and look in terms of how attachment forms, and I'm aware you've had conversations with other mental health practitioners, so I don't want to kind of repeat what people have been mm-hmm. saying, but there is a process in those early that, you know, it's often called the fourth trimester, those first few months when really a baby hasn't yet internalized that they're a separate being to their yes. parent. You know, they still think we're one and the same. And, you know, when they're in that nook of the arm and they're looking up at you and you're looking back at them, let's take, for example, you're looking back at your baby with love. They still don't see you. They see themselves reflected through you. So what they're seeing is I'm lovable, I'm lovable, I'm lovable. And in those first few months, we're getting the beginning, not that it's nailed by four months old, but yeah. that beginning of a sense of self. Who am I? What am I worth? What am I deserving of? All of that is happening. And as I begin to realize, you know, would you look at that? We're separate people. I'm You and me are not the same person. I'm now interested in other people in my attachment network. And I think it's really important for any mother who's going through any postpartum experience to realize that you alone are not responsible for attachment formation. There are other people that I can I mean, attach to. None of us have just one attachment figure in our whole lives. We have primary attachment figures, our caregivers, and we have an attachment network around us, which is, you know, siblings, other parents, you know, cousins, aunts, cousins, aunts grandparents. So good enough is truly good enough with this. It's not perfect, not not ideal, but it's good enough. And we have to get to a place where, you know, we can accept, well, That is good enough. So if I'm not available to my baby for whatever reason, okay, and it's really important that I am taken care of and that I take care of myself, who else is available to my baby? Because babies are going to have this. It's like if you think of it like a radar, like beep, 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 beep. And they're going around saying, well, you're not available to me right now. But look at that. You are great. Meet my needs, please. Great. You know, I'm happy. And then it might be that when somebody is recovered from postpartum, Uh, mental illness, that you might want to do something like a dyadic therapeutic piece with your young child where you can experientially reconnect, reestablish that attachment and connection. And doing that at a very young age, you know, you're looking at it will it won't take nearly as long as if you did nothing and waited until they're 12 or 13. You know, earlier is always better. So something like for just to give people an exact therapeutic, a dyadic therapy, which is parent child related and particularly for young children would be something like TheraPlay. So it's a very particular modality. It's play based. Um, it's it's about fun. You know, this isn't about you coming in and talking about those dark times and it's going to be really <laughs> yeah, stressful yeah. for you. It's about coming in in the right here, right now, meeting you and your child where you are at and looking at creative, playful ways that we can strengthen and enhance that relationship. And that's really and that's always possible. The earlier, the better, but it is always possible. And what's the difference between that? This is sort of a pedestrian question, but what's the difference between that and just playing with your child like playing at home. Yes, I, I'm going to call it it's play with purpose. Right. OK. You know, so if I'm doing and there's and please play with your child at home. That's yes. always <laughs> something we want you to do. I'm not saying that doesn't matter. That doesn't count. It does. That's lovely. And particularly at home where possible, follow your child's lead and play and where necessary, step in and say, here's what we're going to play in a therapeutic setting. And particularly what we've just talked about around attachment um, and strengthening, enhancing relationship. It's very mindfully selected play and it's play from 
particular developmental dimensions, we look at structure play or engagement play or nurture play or challenge based play. And they're different modes of play. Okay, so the therapist assesses what is best needed and then can. Exactly. But then maybe do they also recommend that you go home and play those specific? Oh, you will. Yeah, you will get some prescribed play at home as well. Do you know a bit of this? And, you know, I mean, obviously I talk scheduled fun. I love it. Here you go. So at this time you will spend this much. Then you will blow bubbles. No, it's it's about. That would really suit me. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to do this for this long at this time. And you and this is going to be the outcome. But it's really about learning the rhythms of your child. And that's what that type of um, conscious play is really good at is because you can see, you know, when they come out of school and because kids are back to school now and people will relate to this. And as parents, we haven't seen them for, you know, chunk of hours in the day and we're like hi how are you what you do who'd you see what happened what you learn did you have a good day and we bombard them with questions and they're no to know huh because they're not they've been answering questions all day okay. they don't want to answer questions so you might go okay we need to come back into an optimum zone of energy we need to kind of co-regulate back into the window of tolerance so instead I might play a game with you coming down the road instead of asking you questions where you know, I say jelly, you say ice cream, but you have to say it the same way that I do. So if I say jelly, really high pitched, you say ice cream, really high or jelly, ice cream. And we are co-regulating through play. So by the time we get in the door at home, now you're ready to tell me about your day. Yes. OK. But you, d- you get there through play. Top tip. OK, so next question. I, hi, Joanna. I have a three year old that is generally a very bad sleeper. However, when he appears to be anxious about something, his sleep is on another level. He wakes up throughout the night crying, retching, sometimes vomiting and shaking at times. I'm his sole comfort. But now I have a nine week old and it's a struggle. Any tips on how to help him manage the situation or even to establish a healthier relationship with sleep in general? He only ever wants me at night. Thanks so much. Oh, and a nine week. I mean, congratulations on the new baby. But now you've two babies. You know, you have a three year old and a nine week old. And that's so much demand. And just be really careful that you're minding yourself in all of that, because that kind of relentless demand can be very wearing as well. And, you know, I think three year olds are very wise in lots of ways because they don't have the emotional fluency to tell us what's going on. I'm feeling very out of sorts today. You know, I didn't get the truck that I wanted to in playgroup and it's really upset me. For the, They can't tell us with narrative. So they tell us through their bodies. And one of the things that we always look at first is, and when I'm working with a, a family, I'll always inquire about how is eating, sleeping and toileting because they tend to be the areas is very young children play out their symptoms. Okay. So any sudden significant disruption to how your child is eating, sleeping or they're toileting, it might be a regression that you can't otherwise explain, Explain. then I would be looking at that and saying, okay, what's underpinning that state? What is going on behind that overt behavior? So you have a child and, you know, the truth is, and questions of sleep when they come in, I always feel like, oh, gosh, you know, I don't have a happy, nice, neat answer for you because some children sleep really well and some children don't, don't just don't and there really isn't a magic response does and it get better I mean I think it does but sometimes I think it's because we adjust as parents to right, it as okay. well you know so we we feel less stressed about it but if your child as a baseline doesn't sleep well then when they're not emotionally well when you're saying here when he's feeling anxious or having an uh-oh feeling that amplifies mm-hmm. so it's not that well, he's suddenly not sleeping well. It's that he's now sleeping even, even less, less well. well. And of, you're his comfort because you're his secure base. You're his safe haven. 
you are where he returns to. It's safe to fall apart with you because I know you're going to hold me physically and emotionally, contain me, help me to organize these feelings that actually don't make sense to me alone. And you'll stick with me until I'm calmed, co-regulated with you. Now, that's fine if as a parent you can stay fairly calm yourself in mm-hmm. the face of that. But add into that a nine week old and the demands of a newborn baby and how little sleep you're probably operating on. You're running on less resources than usual. And it's going to be harder for you to be that available Got it. to your three year old. So it may not be that his need has changed, but your availability to meet that need has understandably changed. So you want to have a tag team. So I don't know if that parent is co-parenting, if there's another adult in the house. If there is, you want to tag them in and that one of you is taking care of or attending to the needs of one child while you're going into this three year old. And do you, so do you meet the so the, the three year old seems to be wanting her to be in the room. So do you sort of um, give in is the wrong term, but do you attend his needs with what he wants and just let the other parent deal I mean, with the nine o- month old or just send only, the father only in? Only if you can. I mean, right, it's okay. not possible. And ideally, a child should know that their emotional needs can be met by both and either parent. Yes. Okay. You know that I might want you, but I see you're not available. You'll do. Right, you okay. know, and we really want to empower that. So it might be about facilitating lots of playtime, one on one time between the three year old and the other parent and not just seeing that as let's go out climbing, jumping, running, but also introducing some nurture plays so that I'm learning that my nurture needs can be yeah. met by you as well and that I'm learning that you're a person who does that for me as well Um, because we can see again I'm generalizing but we can see that children quite quickly go oh you're the one who does all the kisses and cuddles and you're the one that lets me do things that are pushing me outside of my my comfort comfort zone and trying out things and taking risks great actually those we both both parents need need to to be able to do those yeah okay Um, another question Um, I'm just wondering what is best to do and not do on bad mental health days with three young kids. My husband and I have little support, no one to take them. My mom, my mother died by suicide, too. So all that comes into play when I'm trying to be the best parent I can be. But sometimes we have bad days. Yeah. And it's okay. You have a bad day and there's a context to it. And I think it's again, though, we hear as parents, we're so hardwired to what about the kids, the needs of the kids. And that's exactly what's happening here. But how can I be the best parent I can be when I'm really not feeling good in myself? So I think you want I don't know the ages of those children, but you really want to have a system in your family that you prepare in advance. So prepare it when you're feeling good. Don't wait until you're feeling bad. And what it might be for children is you get a couple of shoe boxes, any box that size will do. OK, and you put in it little bits of Lego, Play-Doh, putty, um, little sensory items, a little jigsaw, uh, bits and bobs, interesting little things for that your they children like or just things that they that haven't they discovered like, yet. That you know, you you can go around one of the shops that sell the bits and bobs and you can put a few bits in their Rubik's Cube and little bits like that. Things they don't typically see every day that aren't part of their everyday play, play kit. Yeah. And on those hard days, it's the shoebox day. OK. They get their shoebox and that's the day they sit and they play themselves with their shoebox. In my first book, uh, The 15 Minute Parenting, I do have a section that I call armchair play for those days when parental stamina is just low. Okay, even outside of the arena of mental ill health, 
We all have days when you're like, I just don't have it. I just don't have it in me to sit and play. I don't want to play cars. I don't want to see a piece of Lego. I don't want to do it. And it's a whole series of games and activities that you can play without leaving your armchair. So thinking of things that you might plan in advance that you might. And again, doing this when you feel well, not waiting to when you don't like a treasure hunt um, around the house and you've already got the clues and the map designed out and you hand it to them and you know that takes 40 minutes right um, setting up activities that you know you can use yes. okay and you're thinking of solo and independent play and you might want to do some collaborative challenge play with them so let them give them a bag of cotton balls let them have a big snowball fight they just chuck them at each other you can't hurt anyone with a cotton ball but you get a great release of tension from throwing that overarm throwing and then telling them they each have to take off a shoe and sock and hop around on one foot and pick up each cotton ball with their toes and bring it back to the bin. So it's a nice challenge activity, but they're also tidying up. And you are just sitting. there sitting, resting, taking care of yourself. As your children get older and you can talk to them about this as well. And you're saying you might have a name for it in your family. I'm having a low day. I'm having a blue day. I'm having whatever you want to call it day. Mm -hmm. And that cues them to know, OK, this is a day that mom isn't available for playing. And this is a day when maybe we read books, we do jigsaws, maybe we watch a movie. Yeah, and is and it about that's like okay. we all watch a movie or can you say like I'm just going to put this on for you and I'm, and I'm going go to go lie down. Yeah. yeah, you can do that. I mean, if you feel like you can lie on the sofa, bring the duvet with you and snuggle up together with a bowl of popcorn, do that. If you don't feel that and you really need space, you need to be in a quiet room with no voices, no questions, no requests. Then you set up the movie and the activity, put out a little blanket like a picnic blanket on the floor. Again, you have this set up, put a couple of activities out there, play a movie because children might watch it again. It depends on age. They might watch some of the movie and then play a bit and then return to the movie. And that gives you a chunk of time. I have a friend who has his favorite meal is sad lasagna. And sad I asked him lasagna. what sad lasagna was. And his dad also died Um Tragically, and on the dad's anniversary, his mum would make lasagna. Now she didn't call it sad lasagna, but then he interpreted like, oh, "Okay, this is this is what we do on the association." This day, so this is sad lasagna, and it's his favorite meal. Do you think that she should explain what like that this is a shoebox day, or is it just like it, it just randomly comes out like and again, Christmas? Well, no, I I think you can. I think children are are clever and smart, and they get it. They know something about you has changed. You're not the same energy you were. Yesterday or the day before yeah. something is different. And I think it is OK to say, you know, I'm not feeling well in my feelings today. I'm having a low day and it's a day that I really need to take some extra rest and some time alone. And here's what you guys are going to do. And, you know, I think as well, you can always think about books. I think books are a great way to introduce things. These conversations. Yeah, I love the book. Um, the Black Dog by is it Levi? Yeah, Levi Pinfold. Okay. okay. And it's all about this. The, the family are called the Hope family. There's Daddy okay. Hope, Mommy Hope, Sister Hope. And then the youngest child is Small Hope. Okay. And throughout the book, there's always a small hope. OK. And there's a dog and the family are trying to keep the black dog out of the house. Don't let the dog in the house. Don't let it in. And the dog gets bigger and bigger. But Small Hope climbs out and goes after the dog, engages with the dog, plays with the dog, tames the dog and brings the dog into the house to sit with the family. Okay. And this is part of our family. And it's a nice kind of analogy and association with, you know, you often hear of depression described as the black dog of depression. That's and it's true, true. it's this ki it's this yeah. kind of representation of that. But it's it's subtle. Yeah. It's subtle, but it's clear. 
you know, if you get me. And I think there's that. There's also, um, I think for slightly older kids, I like the Sean, I like Sean Tan's work in general, but Sean Tan's book, The Red Leaf, is this idea that you can wake up and everything just feels overwhelming and you just can't see any hope and you're just very low down. But on every page, there's this tiny red leaf. And if you can find it amidst all of the chaos, it's there. And by spotlighting the red leaf, it gets bigger as you go through the book and it grows into a tree by the end. And it's this idea that find the one thing that you can focus on to anchor you and focus on that, nurture that, grow grow that. And it's a nice one for children as well. Um, There is another one called My Happy, uh, My Happy Sad Mummy or My Sad Happy Mummy. It's one of those by Michelle Vassilio. Um, Look, there is no end of books out there. There is a children's book for everything. But there are some nice ones that when it is hard to find the words to start that conversation, using a book as you're in that you read it and you say, you know, that's a bit like me. Sometimes I feel like that mom or dad or whatever it might be. Yes, okay. I so think that's a really yeah, exactly. Um, I think that's a really nice way to do it. Taking a break from the episode to bring you an ad because this podcast is only possible because of our sponsor. Supporting our sponsor supports the podcast. And let me tell you about who they are. Rockwell's financial planning service is designed for anyone who feels as if they kind of need to just put a shape on their finances. I don't know if you're like me, you kind of feel like, oh, my finances are all over the place. I need to kind of start adulting. This is the service for you. Whether you're like a senior executive in a multinational company or a small business owner or just a young couple looking to get a head start in your financial planning, a single person who wants to make plans for their future, So they consider themselves financial doers rather than financial planners, which I really like because it's active. It's not just like um, namby-pamby sort of making a plan. doesn't matter where you are in the country. They're happy to help you in person or over Zoom. Pensions and investments are really important, but they're absolutely useless without knowing why you're using them and what you're using them for. They are in the outcomes business. They are in the business of results. So it's not just about the plan, it's about the action. So they use this like award-winning investment advice to help their clients achieve their goals. And they have a special offer for you listening right now for Basically listeners. If you go to rockwellfinancial.ie forward slash basically, you can book a complimentary financial planning session today. You'll get a cash flow model which outlines any gaps in your finances and they'll give you the first steps to achieving your specific goals. I highly recommend Rockwell and I think as a Basically listener, you should definitely check it out. It's free. It's going to put you on the right path to getting your finances in order. That's it. Go to rockwellfinancial.ie forward slash basically. So while I have you, I'm going to take the opportunity to um, take you hostage for a minute and tell you about the merchandise that we are selling. We have notebooks and pens, which are branded with the basically branding and you should buy them. You should buy them because it's a lovely notebook. Who doesn't need a notebook? If you are a Headstuff podcast member, if you buy the notebook, you get the pen for free. It supports me. It supports the podcast. It supports the producers, the people who work on the show and means that we can continue to make these podcasts and give them to you for free. If you want to become a Headstuff podcast member, if you get a lot from the podcast and you think, God, I'd like to support Stephanie and the podcast, you can become a Headstuff podcast member for five euro plus that. Uh, or you can give more if you want to. Go to headstuffpodcast.com and you can click register there and you pick a podcast. You can pick up to three podcasts. If you pick three podcasts, what happens there is that the five euro that you're giving gets split between the three podcasts that you're supporting. 
Or you can pick just one podcast. Say you pick my podcast, then you'll get my bonus material for free and all of the bonus material for all of the other podcasts on the network. So it's a really, really good deal. Five euro, all of these special podcasts. So if you want to do that, do it. I'll be very, very grateful. The people who are in the community, the Headstuff podcast members are my favourite people. They support the podcast. They mean that you can listen to this podcast for free. It's five euro a month. I'm going to stop talking now, but I really appreciate your support. Thank you. Oh, and also, if you cannot afford to support the podcast, but you want to support the podcast, you can also give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a good review or share the podcast with two other people. That's it. Just send the podcast to two other people who will listen to it, who you think will benefit from it. That helps to get our listeners up, which helps us get sponsorship. It's all how it works. And uh, yeah, I'd be really grateful if you do that too. Bye. Just taking a break from my podcast to tell you about another podcast on the network called Words to That Effect. Words to That Effect, it's like a narrative storytelling show and it explores the kind of fascinating places where fiction, history, science and popular culture overlap on a Venn diagram. So like from the Victorian past to utopian futures, dinosaurs to detectives, zombies to mummies, mummies, how does literature shape our understanding of popular culture it's a really fascinating podcast one that really get your mind going things that you've never thought of before but will find fascinating if you like my podcast you'll probably like words to that effect give it a listen and let me know what you think i'm connor reed with words to that effect how do the victorians invent time where do all those pirate cliches come from should we all read romance novels? Glided up her neck with Why are kids so obsessed with dinosaurs? What makes the perfect detective we'll story? To go and solve this crime what happens to culture and society in a post-apocalyptic world where everything has stopped? Words to that effect tell stories of the fiction that shapes popular culture. Listen wherever you get your podcasts and at headstuffpodcasts.com. I'll move on to the next question. Um, hi, Stephanie. Um, my Both my husband and I suffer with depression and he also has anxiety. We're both on prescription medication. His dad had depression and died by suicide. Is there any evidence that this is hereditary? Should I worry about my kids' mental health? And if so, is there anything I should be doing now? They're aged just four and eight years. Okay, they're really young and you're really attuned. You're watching and you're thinking, is this something that will affect my children? Are they more predisposed to it? But you're very aware of it. And that means you're watching for any early signs, early indications and it sounds like you will be ready to respond to those. What are the early signs? Will they be different for every child? Or? Uh, they will. Yeah, they okay. will. But again, we would look at sudden unexplained disruption to development that was otherwise going fine. OK. OK. So any kind of significant if I was a previously outgoing, socially engaged child and now I'm very shut down and withdrawn or, you know, if. But if they were always kind of introverted then it's not something to worry well, about yeah because we do not psychopathologize shyness yes. or introvert yes. like that's yeah. that's a normal <laughs> character trait yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so it's really if it's something that has become problematic and that it's pervasive in my life and it's causing me significant struggle and difficulty and you know because children being quiet is not an issue okay once your child is happy healthy has friends they do not need to have 10 or 12 friends if they have two or three and they're very happy good enough that's yes. fine. Okay. Um, so anything like that, there can be a hereditary component to mental ill health. You know, that's that's proven. Um, but it's not it doesn't mean 
Definitely. Exactly. Exactly. So I would, you know, focus on the things you can do. Focus on making sure that your children are happy, healthy, engaged, that they have activities, that they're part of teams and groups and they're engaged. And, you know, I, I think it's very hard when you don't have extended family around to support you. And I think as well, when you both feel like sometimes it's a hot potato of stress that we're tossing back and forth between us. And it's also something when you're living with somebody who has mental ill health, it can be that you you feel like I'm always watching. Is it now? Are you OK? Oh, you sighed. What does that sigh mean? You know, that you actually have when you're both feeling very well and it's all managed, say, you know, we need a system. We need a system in place that you cue me when you're not feeling well. What am I supposed to look out for? What's your first tell to yourself that you're slipping? So this is a conversation between the adults, between the adults so that I can learn. Okay, there's your tell. You're slipping. I'm, I feel OK. I can step up. I can ask for some support with the, the kids, maybe arrange a play date, maybe arrange a visit, clear up an afternoon and make sure that you're both OK and taking care of each other so that you're a team. That's really a, it's, so that you're a team saying, I see you. I got you. We can do this. So I really do think it's about making sure that your children are functioning happily and healthily and if there is any sudden unexplained change to that that you respond quickly and promptly to it not with panic and say oh my goodness it must be the same illness that I'm living with or their dad is living with with curiosity with curiosity and openness and you maybe talk to a GP seek a referral talk if you're comfortable talking to your school they may have um, somebody a, a play therapist or a psychotherapist that they recommend or refer to and you know have your children seen refer to you know uh, the child and adolescent mental health services um, as well and especially if private route is not an option make sure that you do go on those lists as soon as you need to do so with the support of your GP. But otherwise, there it is not inevitable, you know, and it sounds like you're really aware of. of and again, I just want to go back, Stephanie, to what I said at the beginning, that just because I might be a parent who has is living with mental illness, that doesn't mean I can't be the best kind of parent possible. I can parent really, really well because I'm on top of it. I'm managing it. So looking after yourself. Looking your after looking yourself after is the is best thing you'll do for your kids. Um, hi, Stephanie. I'm a mother of two boys aged seven and four. I've suffered a lot with anxiety and depression since I was 10. And now it's only now that I'm getting better at 25 and looking deeper into my childhood, etc. I can see just how much some of the things my mother did that caused me issues. Not her fault as she suffered with mental health too. But now I'm worried that I'm passing it on to my kids, especially to my seven-year-old. He has seen me in bad ways and is much more emotionally mature than a lot of seven-year-olds. I have this anxiety that I've damaged him from maybe saying the wrong things in front of him or crying in front of him, the same as my mother did. From comments he makes, such as, I look after you, mammy, etc., when he should be the child, not the parent. He's only seven and I'm wondering what I could do from now on to prevent this or how I can better handle myself when I'm not feeling good in front of my kids. Yeah, I think that's a really common one that I hear, actually. And, you know, sometimes children can become what we'd call pseudo mature. So they've taken on not that the parent has asked or given it to them, but they've assumed this caretaking role in response to their parent um, and saying, it's OK, I got you. I'll mind you. I'll keep you safe. And that's when we say something is pseudo mature, actual maturity is achieved by going through the stages of childhood, the play experiences right, and okay. growing up when that is short circuited. And I've catapulted forward to. I'm seven going on 27. Yes. You know, that's it's not authentic. It's not real. So they're saying sentences they've heard, but they don't. It's not. Or I, I want to take care of you, but it doesn't mean I can because I'm still only a little kid. And what's really important is that 
you know, and there's nothing wrong with children having strong independence skills. I just, you know, don't don't confuse that. That's really important. But in the process of, of that pseudo maturity, that caregiving role becoming quite parentified, they can lose that sense of childishness, that childhood playfulness that actually is essential to developing actual maturity down the road. Um, and the most important thing is to talk about that illness, those feelings, that anxiety in a developmentally appropriate way and that you do. And I'm sure this parent is, but that you constantly keep those lines of communication open. And your message is it's not your job to take care of me. You're such a kind hearted boy, you know, that you want to take care of me. And that's great. You know what you could do to take care of me and give him something really appropriate. You could over there and make a jigsaw. I'd love to see your jigsaw. Or you could take your favorite book and read me a story. Okay. And you keep it in that. And, you know, I think as parents, we often think, but oh, I just can't. I can't play. You could sit there and comb my hair for me. Right, you know, children okay. will go and go, I remember the day that I was braiding your hair. I was combing your hair. That can be a really nice memory. Give me a care task that is developmentally appropriate and still within the realm of play. OK, so you're not asking him to like do an actual household chore. Exactly. That you, or mind your brother for me or, do, you know, yes. not because it's not a seven year old's job to ever but do that. But you're also not saying it's not your job to take care of me. I'm not going to allow you to do that. You want to say, say that, you know, I'm the mommy or I'm the daddy or, you know, I'm well able to take care of all of us. But you're such a kind hearted boy to say that. So, yes, yes, please. Here's what I'd like you to do. OK. And, and then a play thing. Keep it very, very simple. And that can that can really mean a lot. I think as well, because this parent has been living with anxiety from such a young age, making sure that you have a network of support around you. What does that look and feel like for you? Are you currently happy with the support mechanisms you have in place? And if not, what can you do to change those? Because that will certainly answer the last part of the question, which is how can I better handle myself when I'm not feeling good? Like if you don't have the support, it's not possible really that you're going to be able to. Exactly. And giving yourself time when you can feel that anxiety coursing through you and you're beginning to feel, you know, that autonomic nervous system reacting, you're kicking in, you're definitely not in that kind of safe, regulated space, you've gone into an activated, mobilized heart rate increasing, your breath is more labored and you're getting those physical symptoms. You know, what can you do in the now? And it might be that you need to change the field of vision, get outside, ideally stand there even just for a couple of minutes, having either a glass of water, something cold or holding a cup that's hot and just feeling that temperature in your skin, that sensory input that you're very aware of. Where am I now getting anchored into the moment? So and again, I'm not saying that's going to cure anxiety because it just doesn't in the same way that a coloring book doesn't. But it can be a distraction in the moment to kind of go, OK, I can take it down a bit. Now, what do I need to do? I need to call somebody or I need to reach out to somebody or this is going to be a movie afternoon so that I can do A, B and C to get myself regulated. Right. OK, so having a system in place because it's very hard in the moment. You know, because when we get anxious, it's like imagine it's like you flipped your lid. You know that phrase like we often say, oh, I flipped my lid. I lost it. Flipping your lid in your brain means your neocortex is offline. That reasoning, rational thinking, good decision making part of the brain is not available to us. And what's calling the shots very quickly is that limbic emotional area, that amygdala fight, flight, freeze, you know, firing those synapses to us. You know, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to It's very hard to make good conscious choices when we're being ruled emotionally like that. So, you know, you want to have a system in place when things are good 
that you can quickly go to. And it might be that you write it down. You have a notebook so that when I'm beginning to feel an anxiety attack come on, I can go to my notebook and I have step one, two and three. Okay. And again, just as I'm talking to you in things that you can do every day, you know, and again, I don't want to because I really I hate that idea that, oh, you're anxious. Have you tried? You know, yes. Yeah. yeah. I some, think she's something from depression. Really, the husband is anxious. Um, but, you know, that really kind of when when you're living with that rhythm inside you, what can you do to kind of ground yourself on a daily basis? You know, in uh, Deb Dana, who's a polyvagal expert, you know, she talks about um, glimmers. I always think it's such a nice practice so that every day you track your glimmers, you set yourself an attainable number of glimmers. So don't say 10 because then you're going to hit five and go, I failed today. You don't want yeah. that. Say I'm going to get three and then you pass your goal and grow it. And a glimmer is a micro moment of positive energy and they happen every day all around us, but we don't acknowledge them. them. Yeah, yeah. So this could be that first sip of ice cold orange juice in the morning. It could be that smell of hot coffee or tea, that first cup of the day. It could be getting to the bus stop just as the bus arrives. It could be for me, it's approaching the traffic lights when the green man just turns green, you know, and I'm like, yes, that any moment that you go, yes, yeah, that's a glimmer. Okay, and what you want to do is acknowledge those. Or when they open a new checkout at Lidl and you're like, (laughs) and you're the first in line line and you were like, (laughs) I like that one too. Um, So, yeah. So having those and even though starting with predictable ones, Mm -hmm. you know, ones that I know that works for me. But this time, instead of just going, oh, cool, and getting on with your day, you're going to go, yes, that's great. Look at that. That happened. And you're going to really savor it. And that means that you take that micro moment, that glimmer and you really sit with it for kind of 30 to 60 seconds because then you're embedding it. Yeah. You're really benefiting from the energy of it. Have a glimmer notebook where you write down or ideally if you have someone in your life who maybe they're doing it as well or they'll simply listen to you that you can tell them about your glimmers because then you hear yourself say them Noel out loud. Noel and I do this. Noel also. That's super. He loves when we get into a restaurant and then a queue builds behind us. He's like, we got in just ahead of time and it happens him all the time. But that's a micro moment as well. parking space. Yeah, no, it does Parking really is one of mine. Yeah, parking is definitely even coming in to talk to you this morning. I was like, I really want this particular space near a cafe so did I you can get, get a cafe. Yes, I did. Yes. And I had that moment of yes, but I also savoured it. I was like, I love when that happens. I love and I just attuned to the feeling in my body of I have really, really positive this. energy right now. And if you do that as a daily practice, you are hardwiring yourself and predisposing yourself to look for those moments, to seek them out so that you're consciously focused on those things. And again, I don't want to sound like the Pollyanna cure for no, it's anxiety. Not a it's cure. not a cure. But it does help a little it's bit. It's really about scaffolding yourself up. It's about investing in your emotional resources so that you have that when the bad days hit. hit. Yeah. Um, and it can be like if you're having a bad day, it's like, all right, yeah, little great. But, you know, it, on some days it can really, really help. Um, I have a couple more questions to get through before we finish. Um, my seven year old daughter sometimes has episodes where if she gets a pain in her tummy or any kind of twinge, she thinks she's going to vomit. She'll start to shake and almost have a kind of panic attack and then she will vomit and feel fine afterwards. But it's almost always... Like she's bringing it on, if that makes sense. Mm. I went through something similar as a child and in my teens, but I never actually got sick. I would just shake and that would be it. Like the thought of being sick would play on my mind. Is there anything I can do to help her or even help myself so I can help her? Thanks. Sorry for the long message. No, it's um, and the fact that, you know, this feeling is such a strength in dealing with this because you can also say, hey, 
I know this feeling. When I was your age, I had this feeling too. This is what it felt like for me. And you can describe it. Is it the same for you? Is it different? Tell me the story of your feeling. Interweave it with narrative so that she's bringing much more conscious awareness to it. Yeah, it starts here and then I feel this and this is. And then you say, well, what's the story of it and what thought goes with it? Okay, do you know what the problem is? I don't think that thought is helping the feeling. I wonder, can we replace it with a new thought? Okay. Okay. And you're going to say, I wonder and give her a line. Like a simple line to remember that when that feeling hits, you're going to repeat this to yourself instead. What kind of I am safe. I am okay. I'm well. Okay. Or I'm going to sit down and take three deep breaths. And, you know, also not just saying that to a child, because you know yourself in the history of feeling upset and dysregulated, someone saying to you, take a deep breath and calm down. I mean, does that ever work? No, No. it actually amplifies and is super irritating. But giving me a skill where I know I sit, I put my two feet flat on the ground and I need to feel my back up against the back of the chair and the surface. And then I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to breathe in and give her a word to breathe in. I'm going to breathe in well. I'm going to breathe in health and I'm going to breathe out sick. I'm going to breathe in, health. And uh, so my focus is on the words, not the breath. Not the breath. And giving her a couple of things that are very child friendly to do that also have this same effect, like talking to her about doing a clam cuddle. And I know I'm going to do it now and nobody can see me, but I'll do it. helps me to describe it if I'm doing okay, it. OK, I can't so wait to see this. You take opposite hand to opposite shoulder. OK, so as if you're going down a water slide where they tell you to cross perfect. your arms over your chest. That wouldn't have occurred to me. So perfect. Yep. And you want to squeeze as tight as you can. So squeezing so you, your shoulders exactly. and your arms towards your chest. And you want to count five, four, three, two, one while you squeeze and then let go and repeat that three times. You're essentially giving yourself a hug. OK. OK, but it is something I could do on my own. Even if I was in school, I could go into the bathroom in less than a minute, clam cuddle. And what's happening is you're giving that proprioceptive input, that deep pressure touch into the skin that sends a message to the brain. You're OK. You're safe. It's OK. Mm-hmm. Um, another one that you can do is the puffer fish where you puff out your cheeks, you know, like you're doing with a small child when you do pop cheeks with them. Yeah. So puff out your cheeks as big as you can. Mm-hmm. Five, four, three, two, one, and then let it out. But you don't push it out with your hands. You just open your mouth. Well, you do push it out with your hands. Okay. Okay. To yourself and do that deep exhale. So and you repeat that three times because, again, a lot of us hold tension and stress in our jaw. So the puffer fish is actually forcing that release of the jaw. We're doing it looking at each other. I mean, if anyone could see us right We're just like blowing up our But it really does. So you've got your clam cuddle, you've got your puffer fish and you teach me not just to take three deep breaths but to breathe in particular word and breathe out and even tell me what colour is that word? What shape is that word? So you're giving me skills and you're doing it from a place of not that there's nothing wrong with you. This is what you have to do. You won't be sick. If you keep doing that, you're going to make yourself sick. Don't go down that road, OK, because that doesn't help me at all. But you go at it from a place of acceptance and empathy. Do you know what? I know this feeling in you because it was a feeling I had, too. This is what I do and it really helps. I'm going to loan this to you. Let's see. Can we work on it together and give me really practical, creative ways that empower me to master the tension rousing experience? OK, Um. two more questions. Speedy. Um. Okay. 
I'm going through a divorce and trying to hold on to my home. Most importantly, keeping my daughter on the straight and narrow. She's in leaving certain struggles with anxiety. COVID has, COVID has impacted this. She's amazing. Amazing. She's my everything. I've pretty much parented alone for 18 years. Everyone who knows me sees me as this strong, confident. And I outwardly am. But on the inside, I'm in bits. I feel like I'm letting everyone down as a result. I'm pretending that everything is OK. I'm afraid to lose the family home as it's been passed to me. I know for my health, it's the right thing because I'm trying to pay the bills, keep the family happy. But I'm suffering and nobody knows. In my day job, I go... I'm the go-to person, but I feel I have no one to turn to. Mental health issues are often narrowly defined as something visible, but for so many silent sufferers, I'd just love to get some advice. Oh my God, I can just feel the wave of stress and anxiety from that letter, you know, and I think we have to reframe what strength looks like and what it is and what it isn't. And, you know, allowing yourself to feel what you feel and to acknowledge your vulnerability is a strength. Okay, that is part of being strong is knowing your limits, knowing when actually I've reached my saturation point. I'm overwhelmed. This is too much and I'm not afraid to say I can't do this. I need help. I need support. And modeling that, especially for your 18 year old, is actually such a great life skill to give her as well, that it is okay to fall apart. It is okay to say I can't keep going. I feel like this and, and to cry a good cry to release some of that tension as well. Cry to someone or just cry by yourself? Well, either or if you can cry with somebody, but crying with somebody, you want somebody who can just sit with you in that feeling. You don't want someone who's going to try and pull you you out of it. And come on now, come on, you're all right. And look at these three great things in your life. Yeah. You know, and that comes from a really good place. But actually having somebody who can sit with you in that feeling and bear witness is so much better. It's so much more empowering. And it might be that you, you would benefit from talking to somebody, somebody who is neutral and just there to listen to you and not there to make it better or to rush to cure you, but can give you that space. But it sounds like you've done a tremendous job and you've been working so hard for so long that now you're tired. You're done. It's time for a break. It's time for a different pace. And selling a house, especially when you don't really want to sell a house, is right up there with one of the most stressful life events that you can take on. You also have a teenager doing Leaving Cert, super stressful life event for everyone involved, not just the teenager. And it's been a particularly stressful route to Leaving Cert for this cohort of of teenagers because of COVID and everything else going on. You're also trying to manage your teenager's anxiety while trying to keep down, push down, push down your own bubbling anxiety. Something has to give. And I just don't want it to be you. So I really think you've done incredibly well. You are doing incredibly well. You're allowed to find it hard and you're allowed to struggle with something that is a struggle. If it's an option to go and access mental health support and talk to somebody, find a psychotherapist near you. I think that could be a great gift to you and your daughter. And the last question. My question is, my middle child, age nine, is sweet and adorable, loving and kind, but she's also very negative thinking. She sees the worst in every situation. She feels bad things only ever happen to her. She's very little confidence in her own abilities. We try to encourage her as much as possible. And I try not to use negative words such as stop complaining. But sometimes it's just so hard to get her to see that things aren't all that bad. We've tried gratitude journals, mindfulness. She dips in and out of them, but she doesn't really stick with them. Is there anything Joanna can recommend? Any classes, any books, even just how to deal with my own attitude when I sometimes feel like she's draining my energy? On a really bad day, she'll blame me for everything and shout at me and say I'm the worst mother in the world. I know that she's just taking her frustrations out of me, but it's very hard not to snap back sometimes. Thank you for the class. How old is she again? Uh, 
my child age nine. Nine. OK, there's actually a lovely book. It is. It looks like it's for younger kids. I actually think a lot of us grown ups could benefit from reading it, too, though. It's called I Like Being Me. And it's this lovely rhyme about this girl who has, you know, wacky, wild, chaotic looking appearance. And she's like, hey, I like being me and I like this about me and that about me. And this is who I want to be. And it's a really nice book. I always like books that offer an array of feelings and language. And again, a book that is for a younger child. But I'm going to talk to you about how you can apply it to your nine year old is Dr. Seuss, My Many Colored Days. It's I mean, everything with Seuss is lovely rhyming. So do I. And I, I really don't think you ever even though I'm like it's for younger children, technically. It's really nice. As a grown up, you'll, you'll enjoy that. So my many colour days talks about how on different days I feel different ways. And I have a yellow day and a brown day and a blue day. And sometimes I have a multicoloured day. And really what the message is, is I am not all one feeling. OK, I am somebody made up of a myriad of feelings and on different days, different feelings speak louder than others. But the other ones are still in there. So you could take your nine year old and get a roll of wallpaper lining or, you know, those um, art rolls of paper, roll it out and have her lie on it, trace around her. So it's an outline of her body and cut off that piece Have a whole load of markers or crayons and ask her what color is angry her angry feelings, what color is sad, what color is happy, what color is excited or jealous or worried or a whole mix of feelings. Don't judge anything. If she says sad is yellow and you think that's a happy color, that's your version of it. Hers is fine. Stick with hers. Have her then one at a time color. Where in her body does that feeling live? And you could take it deeper at nine by asking for a relational episode. Tell me a time when you felt that feeling? What's the story of that time? And is the is the mother just observing this or is she doing it for herself Faci- as well? No, no I no. would be just facilitating this. And she builds this whole picture. It also allows you as a parent, because she can put more than one feeling in the same place. Does she cluster feelings in her tummy, in her head? Does she spread them out? Like it helps her see oh, I've got lots of feelings and I've had lots of emotional experiences. And you can stick that up somewhere she can see it when she wants, but doesn't see it all the time. Like the inside of a wardrobe door is a good way of doing that. So she can open it when she wants. You can repeat that in a few months because that will change as she's changing emotionally herself. And you can keep going back. But it's giving her this broader emotional landscape and seeing actually there are lots of ways to feel. You also every day ask her what was the best bit of her day? And what bit does she wish she could change? Don't do worse bits. But what bit does she wish she could change? Again, don't judge anything she says. Just say, OK. And then you what can. What if she says there was no best bit? It was all awful. Well, there has to be a best bit. So what was the least awful of the awful? That's okay. the best bit of the awful day. OK. OK. So she it doesn't matter how small it is. You know, that's the best bit. And if she were like, are you kind of pushing her to be like, OK, there was no best bit. But what was the least worst bad bit? I would say, well, what was the, you know, the thing today that wasn't the most awful? So that would be your best bit today. It doesn't have to be something super happy, clappy, amazing. But out of the way today was what was the best bit of this day? Yeah. OK. And re- again, no matter how small it is. That counts. And you're going to grow that. But give it back to her too. tell her your best bit and the bit you'd like to change. So she's also hearing you have highs and lows in your day and you've things that you wish went differently. And we're all having those experiences. It's not just happening to her. You know, this feeling of everything bad happens to me. And, you know, in a way that can be quite an empowering feeling, because if it's all happening to me, then it's not happening to anyone else. You know, I'm taking it on for everyone. So I do want you getting the message that it can't possibly be only happening to you. That's not right. That's not fair. Everyone has highs and lows. That's what you're going to focus on. But you're doing it in a positively reframed way. And with the outline of the person, 
exercise what's the purpose like is there are we looking like if, if all of it is concentrated in her belly are we looking to like change this are we looking to get rid of things well as a parent that's good information to have because you know then she's going to be prone to disruptions in her tummy um, she's going to be prone to upset tummy or not in her tummy those feelings because there's a lot going on there and you could say god you could just observe a lot of your feelings live in your tummy. Wow, that's really interesting. I didn't know that before this. Did you know that? Now we know something new about where in your body your feelings live. Don't judge it. And if it's You're hanging up awareness. in the wardrobe, what's she looking at it for? Just to see it. Just to revisit when she wants to understand. Okay. How am I thinking and feeling? I am made up. I just feel really sad today or I feel really anxious or I feel really angry that it reminds her that she's not the angry child in your family. She's a child a who is sometimes angry. Joanna Fortune, thank you so much for answering all these questions. Will you tell the listeners about your books and where they can find them and also where they can find like a, a website where they can find a psychotherapist or someone that's safe to go to? And that's such a good point. So you want to go to one of the accrediting bodies. So that could be the ICP, the Irish Council of Psychotherapy or the IACP, the Irish Association for the Council- Counselors and Psychotherapists. Um, you, you know, API is another one, the Association of Psychoanalytic Psychotherapists in Ireland. Um, you have play therapy groups um, under, I, under the IACP you'll find a, a strand for play therapists as well. Basically, what you want is that when you call somebody that you're asking, are they fully trained and certified? And anyone who is will not mind you asking that. So that's don't feel rude or apologetic asking that question. I'd encourage you to make sure somebody is. Um, so can somebody be trained and not accredited? And is that an alarm? Well, it's not an alarm, but it's part of a process, you okay. know, because we all do training, um, that, you know, like a, a course, a college course. So it's like someone who studied medicine but hasn't done You still have to do your hours. Yes, yeah. So you okay. still have to, you know, do your hours and clock and with psychotherapy trainings that you're talking somebody's clocking up three, four hundred hours or more. And, you know, psychotherapists and, and play therapists and we work under supervision as well. So we have somebody it's a safeguarding mechanism um, to make sure that somebody's getting the best possible Treatment service and service. treatment that they can get. Um, and that's so it is a process. It's why those uh, therapy training courses, they take years, years yeah. to train. Um, and yeah, books. So I've written three books, 15 Minute Parenting. So they're all called 15 Minute Parenting. Zero to seven years, eight to 12 years and the teenage years. So there's three in the series, um, different age groups. And it's really what we've been talking about today. It's understanding child development, the challenges, but through the lens of play and really developing that kind of playful parenting, therapeutic parenting and an understanding of play with purpose. I know that people are going to ask me this. Do you see clients privately? I do. But right now I cannot because my schedule is completely committed for the whole of this year. I hate to say Um, it is completely committed. But if somebody um, really can't find someone, you know, I I can make suggestions. All I'm going to say, though, Stephanie, is a lot of therapists have wait lists at the moment. So be aware when you contact somebody, the demand is very high, partly because of these, you know, ongoing times we're living in, you know that people there is a big, big demand. So, you know, don't be put off if you call a few people and you have to go on a wait list. It could be well worth doing that. 
And where can they find you on Instagram where they cannot ask you questions? You do not respond to DMs. I can't. I cannot answer parenting questions on social media for lots of reasons. It's just not a safe thing to do. But they can uh, write to News Talk. Yeah, exactly. Do you just tell them that? So you could email the Moncrief Show. I'm there every Wednesday afternoon just after the three o'clock news answering questions. And that's afternoon at newstalk.com. And you just send your parenting questions there. Just put parenting in the subject line and I'll get those. And we get through as many of those as we can so every week. So if I week. email you on a Tuesday, Tuesday, will I hear it the following Wednesday or might it be a couple of weeks? It could be a week or two later. It but I really do know depends. that Moncrief's sh- that will also be podcasted. So if exactly. you miss it, you can listen, you can search Moncrief's Parenting on wherever you get your podcasts and you'll hear Joanna there. Yeah. And, you know, and I do a 15 minute parenting podcast, actually just 15 minute episodes where I take themes that parents bring up with me and go, I'd love you to talk about nightmares or I'd love you to talk about whatever it might be and in 15 minutes I just sit and talk about that and give you some playful solutions brilliant so look up 15 minute parenting the podcast as well wherever you got this one Joanna thank you so my pleasure so very much (laughs) thank you for listening to another episode of basically uh, as part of our mental health month I hope that it has been helpful let me know how you found it Uh, you can contact me on Instagram at Stephanie Preisner which I'm sure you all know so that's it for another episode our producer is uh, Julie Hassett our music is by Only Ruin our graphic design is by Kahlo Gara and we are part of the Headstuff Podcast Network see you next week This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network a hub for the creative and the curious shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com 